welcome to the Confidence Conversation podcast with me, Joy Burnford. This show explores the world of women, work, and what it takes to feel more confident. A lack of confidence is not a crime, so if you need some motivation, inspiration, or a boost of confidence, grab a cuppa, go for a dog walk, or escape for a drive, and join us for today's conversation about confidence. Our focus for this season is on well-being and self-care, and I'll be talking to some incredible women and experts from around the world to share their real-life stories, advice, and tips to help you manage your well-being alongside your career. And I'd like to say a big thank you to Coach Matters for sponsoring this season. Coach Matters offers recently qualified and experienced coaches the opportunity to expand their business development capabilities, allowing them to reach more clients and lead successful coaching careers through network membership, programs, masterclasses, and wellbeing events, they provide a supportive learning space for coaches to thrive. Coach Matters is offering our listeners an exclusive offer of three months free membership of its network when you reference this podcast. To find out more, see the link in the show notes or visit coachmatters.co.uk forward slash MCM. Today, my guest is the wonderful Sophie Stevenson, who is a specialist in the thinking environment and who runs her own company, The Thinking Project. Our conversation today is all about having time to think and how this can support our mental and physical well-being whilst at home and at work. Good morning, Sophie, and welcome to The Confidence Conversation. Hello, Joy. It's a delight to be here. It's really lovely to see you. And um, for those who are listening on audio, this is being recorded on audio, but we're also recording it um, on YouTube as well. So if you're watching it, hello and uh, welcome to everybody. So the theme, as you know, for season five is well-being and self-care. So we're going to chat about your background and your business, The Thinking Project, an overview of what the thinking environment is and how that links with confidence and and also advice for our listeners in how the 10 components of this can help with prioritizing their health and well-being. And I told you this morning, I'm feeling a bit run down this week. So it's probably an absolutely brilliant topic to be talking about. I was saying I've got holes on my lip, which I've tried to cover up for those who are watching on the... uh, on the YouTube, trying to make myself feel better. But um, just say so we all know what it's like to having a bit of a sort of a down week. I'm not feeling like a down week, but, you know, I'm just feeling a bit um, as energised as I usually feel. So uh, it's a great time to be talking about this. So tell me a little bit about you, Sophie, and your background and how you discovered the thinking environment. Yeah, so my background's always been in, in leadership, I suppose, Joy. So when I first left university, I went into the Royal Navy as an officer. I then ran teams for the Prince's Trust Volunteers. I did lots of different roles and then went out to Australia. So I lived out in Australia for 10 years and yeah, did lots of different roles, but ended up in a large multinational wine company as strategy and ops manager. But when I think about all of them, like the theme has always been about transformation and about simplifying complexity. So how do you make complex things simple and how do you allow people in those complex systems to do what they do really, really well. And I was in that role. So I was in Lion Nathan. I'd been put on a fast track leadership program and I'd gone from those roles where you're sort of successful through your own endeavours to managing teams and so needing to succeed through others. 
and I was a bit rubbish. You know, I was I wasn't a particularly good listener. I was quite hierarchical. I quite wanted to control things because I, I think I, I didn't have the confidence in myself. And I just came across a reference to Nancy Klein's work in another book, actually. And when I read it, what I found was she put words to a way of being, like a, of how I wanted to lead. So I sort of recognized, oh yeah, this is how I want to lead. This is what I want to do as a leader. But I hadn't known. I hadn't been able to articulate it before I read the book. And I'm sorry, I should have said beforehand, it was about that the book is called Time to Think by Nancy Klein. Yeah, and I've just started listening to it, as you know, on Audible, which is, it is really interesting. It's a sort of very simple concept, but things that we don't think about generally in life until we're sort of given that guidance. Give us a little bit of um, an overview of what the thinking environment is, because you know I'm sure many, many listeners haven't come across it like I haven't. So tell me a little bit about it. In essence, the thinking environment, the conditions that we need in order to think well. So the sort of underlying premise is that the quality of everything we do, so the quality of our well-being, the quality of our health, the quality of our relationships, the quality of our work, all of that depends on the quality of the thinking that we do first. And we're we're so pulled into doing, like we're so pulled into this sort of frenetic busyness. And actually, if we can just stop and create a little bit of space and a bit of time to really think first, the quality of all of that doing is far greater. Sort of the best analogy I've come up with, Joy, is that if you imagine like a seed, like you throw a bit of seed onto a bit of soil, that seed will do its best to kind of put down roots and grow. You know, it, it will. That's, that's its nature. But if you put it into the optimal conditions for it, it will flourish and it will blossom and for me, that's what I think these principles, these components, these conditions of a thinking environment are. They're really reliable conditions that when you put anyone into them, the quality of their thinking improves and therefore the quality of their life, the quality of their work improves. And tell me how you're using that now to help others. I think what I do best is help people see how beautifully simple life can be. And so I do that in a number of ways, but predominantly it's about creating spaces where people feel safe, where they know their voice matters and where they can realise actually how how they've got most of what they need already. So I mainly deliver my own workshops. I run transformational personal development and leadership courses. I coach, I qualify coaches and facilitators and teachers in the thinking environment. And then I do all the joyful stuff. So I run retreats and I write. And on occasion, I work with organisations who really want to create the conditions to access the brilliance of the people who are in those organisations. So my background's always been in organisations and teams, um, but I do less of that now. Yes, it was interesting. I was thinking about it when I was starting to listen to the book about she gave gave an example of a sort of a team meeting and there's somebody who's quite negative in that space. And they were doing a, an ex, a sort of an exercise in how to do this sort of thinking environment stuff. And it made me think, actually, if you're if you're the one person who knows how to do it is it possible to sort of influence others without having to say we're now going to do the thinking environment and we're going to operate in this way you know are there any sort of tips on how you can um you know if you read the book to then be able to sort of bring that to, you know into your workplace without getting everybody sort of on the same page I, I guess um if that question makes sense yeah so I mean that's exactly how I started Joy so I, I read the book and like it wasn't my job to run meetings you know it's just our meetings were terrible and so I can remember at one, we had an external facilitator who was due to come in, who we were in Sydney at the time and Sydney was fogged in, so no planes were landing. And I just said to the person who was convening the meeting, like, I've just read this book. Can we, should we just try something? 
and we sort of did. So we, we, we didn't do, you know, we didn't do what I would say now, but I asked people not to interrupt each other. We did some rounds. We asked a few questions, but it was pretty basic stuff, you know, but it made such a big difference because what it did was allow everyone to know that they had a voice and to know if they wanted to speak, that they would do. I mean, and that was in a group of, that was like 25 salesmen, you know, who were not known for potentially letting others speak. But just in that, you know, demonstration, what that did was give me confidence there was something in it. Because as you say, it's like, it's so simple. It's like, it's so simple. And yet it's so rare that actually everyone in a room has an opportunity to speak. And I would say, you don't need to say this is a thinking environment. You can just make some really basic changes. Absolutely. And I think one of the things, as you know, I'm sort of passionate about gender equality and talking about how women can have more voices around the table and that sort of thing. And I think this is perfect way for leaders to, uh, you know, I'm always saying, you know, make sure you're giving everybody the chance to speak and, you know, giving them airtime and stuff. So it's a perfect way to sort of introduce that as well. So let's think about how the thinking environment links with confidence. You've told me before that um, confidence is something you can cultivate. I know I talk about that you, know, you can learn confidence, you can learn to be, to be more confident. Can you, tell, you know, talk a little bit about that? So I think if you go back to the root of the word confidence, so the, the root of the word is, is fid, which is in the middle of that word, which is faith. So con is with and faith and is with faith in ourself. That's what confidence is. And trust. It's trust is sort of the other bit, the word sort of fid, I always think is trust as well. So faith and trust. In, in ourselves. And so I I think that confidence is something that we develop when we have got the courage to be ourselves. And by that, I mean, when we know who we are, when we know what's important, when we have a sense of integrity and authenticity in ourselves. So not, not based on what we do, but based on who we are. And so I think it's the more we can understand our own thoughts, our own feelings, the more genuine we are and and therefore we've got sort of stronger ground to stand on. And so I think it's that, I think it's trusting our own experiencing, trusting what we're doing, trusting ourselves. But I think part of cultivating that and part of developing that trust is to get comfortable with uncertainty and vulnerability, because for me, you can't have confidence without uncertainty like they're almost two sides of the same coin. And and yet I, I think it's so seductive to believe we can control and only when we control everything can we be confident. And that's just not my experience. It's like actually it's despite that. Absolutely. And some of the best leaders are when they say, I don't know the answer to this. You know, what do you think? And actually you can be very confident in saying that and actually probably have more, you know, people have more trust in you and you do say that as well. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit more about my reasons for doing this podcast. My mission is to work together to navigate a path to gender equality. I'm passionate about enabling every woman to have the confidence to progress in their career. And I love talking to and sharing women's stories to inspire others. This podcast forms a small part of what we do. And if you think there's room for improvement in the way your organisation understands and manages the issues, barriers and obstacles that women face in the workplace, please get in touch or tell your HR contact about us. There's a link in the show notes. And don't forget, Coach Matters is offering you three months free membership of its network when you reference this podcast. 
Their business development masterclasses and Nourish series of well-being events are also now available to non-members. See the show notes to find out more. So moving on to health and well-being then, I know you talk about various different behaviours or different components of the thinking environment, which can help us to create space to think. So before we look at some of those, you know, as we know, women are very busy. So how can we create space to think and carve out time to stop, you know, to give ourselves that permission to pause? Yeah. So it's tricky, isn't it? I love like Oliver Berkman talks about this like epidemic of busyness, you know, that it's um, become a, a badge of honour. It's not even about giving ourselves permission to. We've got to see that having time to think for ourselves and to look after ourselves is actually the, one of the most important things we can do. So I think like as women, we're very good at making time for what's important. And so I think if we can decide that we're important, that we matter, then we will make time for it. I think it's just we we make an assumption that everyone else's needs are more important than ours. And so we'll do everything else first and we'll do our task list. And then in the spare time we've got, we'll do us. And I think we've got to flick that. Like I think I think we've got to really challenge that that assumption that it's selfish, that it's self-indulgent, that we've got to come last. Because actually we need us as women to be really looking after ourselves. But we're up against a you know, a, a lot of pre- pressure not to, you know, there's a lot to do. I think we've got to really rebel against that, actually, that sort of how seductive busyness can be, you know, and how actually it's a form of distraction. You know, it, it distracts us from having to make choices that have got consequences and really take responsibility for ourselves. And I'm not saying that's easy. You know, I've got two kids as well. And but I, I think one of the things I've that has really helped me is knowing that I can't I can't do it all and I can't have it all. And I think the thing I've really learned to do, Joy, which has helped but is also really hard is it's not about just saying no to the things that you don't want to do because often people say, well, just say no to things. We have to get good at saying no to things we do want to do. And I think that's harder because we've got to accept, actually, if I do that thing, that means that actually I can't get to sleep or I won't be able to see my children. or And we want to do both but we can't, not sustainably. And actually that happened to me a few weeks ago because I have I was invited by a friend to go and see the Avatars, um, the ABBA um, concert on a Friday night in a few weeks' time. And I said, oh, yeah, brilliant, fantastic, you know, wonderful, brilliant. So we agreed it, we decided. And then I went back and looked at my diary and the Thursday night I'm in London at an awards due staying up in London. The Friday night would have been this concert and the Saturday morning I had to be at a board meeting at nine o'clock in the morning and then a dinner party that night. And I suddenly thought, do you know what? In, with the best will in the world, I am going to be flawed if I do all of that. So I had to say to my friend, out of all those things, I would have loved to have gone to ABBA, but actually I really can't. And I just had to, you know, she completely understood because she's completely on the same page as, you know, the kind of things we're talking about. So she understood completely, but it's really hard sometimes to make those choices, isn't it? But actually you just need to think about it. And as we're, you know, we're not getting any younger and, you know, my, I can't even have a glass of wine anymore without feeling rubbish the next day. So it's just, you know, trying to <laughs> work out those things that you need. Anyway, so one of the components that you talk about is place, which is about treating ourselves and treating other people like they matter. So talk a little bit about that and sort of give our listeners some really practical tips on what we can do differently. I think, you know, you've said before, it can be simple as getting a good night's sleep or eating well or getting outside. When we think about well-being, I think it's really helpful 
to flick the word around in terms of what would enable me to be well. So what enables me to be really well? And I think that's for each of us to ask ourselves. So I know I prioritise sleep above everything. So I had a child that didn't sleep for five and a half years. And for me and our family, that's more important than anything. But for other people, that won't be their thing, you know, so it's but for me, that's really, really important. You know, I, I think for all of us, we do well by trying to simplify things to slow down. But I, th- I think the challenge we have is well-being has almost become one of those things that's just become another thing to do. So we then are like, well, we've got to drink and meditate and do our yoga and do our exercise. And it all just becomes this, another list of things to beat ourselves up about not doing. And I just don't think it is. I don't think it's those things that actually allow us to be well. I think it's this internal state of, can I do this with ease? What are the choices I'm making? Is this sustainable? And you know, for a lot of things, people, it will be the basics of sleeping, making sure we're hydrated, making sure we get outside once a day. But I think we all have to, we, we all know what that means. But asking ourselves, like, am I treating myself like I matter? Or actually, have I not even considered what I might need to be well, you know, because I put everyone else first. So I think it's that. I think it's partly what we, we talked about earlier. You know, it's about boundaries a, a little bit about what's OK and what's not OK. I think the other thing with place that's useful, Joy, is not feeling like we have to do that on our own. So actually being with other people that also help us feel well. So that can be friends or family. But I think often for a lot of people when they're busy, what goes or we default to task, you know, and, and actually sometimes it's prioritizing the being with someone else that can, I think, really help. Absolutely. Being with the right people, as you say, it's kind of those who fuel fuel you and give you energy. Really important. And you just mentioned about boundaries. And I think it'd be great to talk a little bit about boundaries between work and personal life, because it does come up a lot in conversations I have with, with women in particular, particularly those that work from home. So do you have any advice about how we manage those boundaries? We talked a little bit about saying no to things, but you know, any other thoughts around boundaries? Yeah. So I, lo- I love Brené Brown's definition of boundaries, which is what's okay and what's not okay, because that requires us to determine it. So we can only decide that. But what I found really helpful with boundaries is boundaries aren't a way of keeping things out. They're not barriers that we need to defend. They're actually a way of saying, well, this is what's in. This is what's okay, And actually, sometimes things aren't okay. So I think getting clearer on that is is really helpful. And when I was thinking about this, there's something about like boundaries shouldn't need to be defended. We shouldn't have to armour up around our boundaries. And I think the only reason we ever justify boundaries is when we haven't justified them to ourselves. So we feel like we have to seek approval or be told they're okay. And so I I think it's it's what's most useful with boundaries is working out actually what's okay and what's not for ourselves. Because then we can communicate it clearly and with kindness and we can say no nicely. So I, I think the first step is working out actually what what do I want? Like what's most important in my life at this stage? Because it will change. And I'm just picturing as you're talking about that, I'm just picturing a sort of a house in the middle of a kind of a field with a with a really nice fence around it, you know, a really pretty fence around it, not with great big barriers. It's actually you've decided that that's what you want in your space. And and people know that and they don't come past your gate unless you're invited in. So it's kind of like I was just sort of picturing that image as you were talking about having, you know, big, great big boulders up and everything else and it's not about that at all it's about as you say being clear about what you want in your space that was just sort of something that came to me as we were as you were chatting then 
<laughs> yeah, and I think the challenge is, Joy, that when we're not clear on those priorities, other people's priorities, that other people have priorities. And so I think in order for that to be easeful is that we've got to get comfortable that some people might not like that. Like some people might get annoyed at us being clear on what we want or not. And that that's okay, you know, and that and those feelings belong to them. But we're okay because we've we've made a choice for ourselves or our families or our work. But I do think we have to be comfortable that sometimes people aren't going to like that. Is there anything else about the sort of the components that you think are particularly relevant to well-being and self-care that you wanted to sort of highlight? There's lots of them. I, th- I think the one that's really helpful to allow ourselves to at least think about is is about feelings. So we we think and feel almost simultaneously. So there's arguments about what comes first, but for most people, most of the time, if we want to think well, we need to allow ourselves to feel whatever it is we're feeling. So whether that's anxious frustrated, exhilarated, wonderful. But often things will happen and we'll have a feeling response to something. And we don't actually ever allow that to be released sufficiently. So the the best analogy I ever read about this was about like feelings are sort of like tunnels. So there's a start and there's a middle and there's an end. But a feeling needs to be felt like that's its purpose. It doesn't need to be rationalized. It doesn't, it needs to be felt. It's a feeling state. And if you feel something, you just work your way through that tunnel. And then at the end of it, you can think more clearly. And I think so often, especially as busy working mums, we never get time to actually allow ourselves to feel anything. Like we're just on like, keep going. And then we have a holiday and then we just collapse or we, you know, we'll speak to a friend or we are suddenly feeling really resentful about something or we burst on something. And it's like, actually, who are the people or where are the spaces where you can allow yourself to feel whatever it is you're feeling? And I love like when I, you know, thinking about the confidence, you know, the, that word sits in the same family, doesn't it, as confidant. And I think sometimes having a confidence, having somebody else you trust to share how you're feeling, to share your experiences is a beautiful way of nourishing ourselves. And that's why coaches are so wonderful as well. So um, if you could give our listeners one top tip um, from the thinking environment, what would that be? And that's a difficult question. Oh, my goodness. This was the only question I was like, Joy, how can I answer this? One tip would be to prioritise time to think. So if you can't do that on your own without sabotaging it, find someone else to think with. So a friend, a colleague somebody but making time for yourself not you don't need loads it's not like a week you need like half an hour here or there making time where you can explore how you're thinking and what you're feeling without interruption that's what I would I'm going to make it my mission to do that this week so if people want to find out more about you and your work tell them where they can go and then we'll also put a link in the show notes thank you so my sort of online home is my website which is just thethinkingproject.co.uk um, I'm on Twitter at thethinkproj and you can find me on LinkedIn but I would say I send out a, a monthly newsletter that's probably the best place for people to to connect. Brilliant thank you Sophie it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today look forward to chatting again soon but thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you Joy.
And that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll be back again soon with another Confidence Conversation. If you know anyone who might find this podcast useful, please do pass on the link. And it would give me a real confidence boost if you could subscribe, rate, and even leave a review. If you like what you've heard, join us at theconfidenceconversation.club, where I'll be sharing tips and notes from each episode, and you can send in your ideas for future topics. And remember, you can get three months free membership of Coach Matters Network when you reference this podcast. To book, get in touch at coachmatters.co.uk forward slash MCM. Thank you. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you.